to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Mills, quick pass. Nico at the five. Nico in the end zone. The dagger. And Grenard with the sack back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston. Rock and roll. Tremont Smith, coast to coast. There is no off-season for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. Yes, it is. Hello, Texans. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. And it's Thursday night. You know what that means. And just because today is an extremely special day did not mean we were not going to have him on as a guest. It's John McClain, the general from the Houston Chronicle, retiring from the Chronicle after 47 years of coverage over 50 total in sports general. Congratulations. We have so much to get to. It's great to have you on the show tonight, and I know today must have been very special for you. Yes, Mark and John, thank you very much. John, thank you very much for that text message. I really appreciate it. Of course. Uh, the Chronicle, usually, like if I do a column on Wednesday and I send it in, Reed LeMans Sports Center will post it on our website, TexasSportsNation.com, and then it'll run in the Chronicle the next day. But Ray decided to do more than I think it was posted at 6 a.m. By the time I got up at 7.30, I had a hundred, over 100 text messages from people, and right now I have 143, and I've been trying to answer people all day, emails. I'm working on my last mailbag. It'll be posted in the morning. I've had people emailing from Portugal, Norway, London, and I think Sweden. And uh, it's amazing with the internet where people, uh, how they keep up with you. I know I would too if I was living in another city or another country, and I will still keep up with it. And uh, I've had uh, TV shows. I've had, I don't ever look at the mentions, you know, but uh, I've had people call and say, are you paying attention to what people are saying about you? On the website, and I was on, on Twitter, and I said, no. He said, well, you need to go on there and see who all is uh, responding to your retirement and doing it on Twitter. One of the first things I saw was J.J. Watt, and I sent him a, I sent him a thank you, and he's been posting pictures last weekend. Of him and Kaylee are climbing mountains in Arizona with these incredible vistas, and I told him, when you're finished climbing those hills in Arizona, come back here where the humidity is, work out with me, and get in real shape. And uh, I I cherish relationships I've made with people through the decades. In the column I wrote today, uh, the one online is longer than the one in the Chronicle, and the one in the Chronicle is long enough. And the one one I write Sunday about great experiences, memorable experiences in my life, includes stories about me with Gordy Howe, Sammy Baugh, George Alice, Bill Vack, two from Bob and Janice McNair that uh, I've never written. Can't remember if I've told them. I texted Janice and Cal and Hannah and thanked them for the nice tweet they put out this morning and uh, and included my wife, Carol. And Chronicle ran a lot of pictures in that online story. And one of them in which Carol and I are riding in the parade in Canton in 2006 when I was uh, got what was then the Dick McCann Award, and that's the Bill Nunn Award for distinguished coverage of the league. And it's been it's been terrific, all the people reaching out, and I appreciate it so much. And 
I'm going to eventually get back to everybody. General, for me, this is kind of a an odd, weird day. And I want to – I grew up reading all of your stuff. I grew up reading Mickey Herskowitz. I grew up Dale Robertson. Like, you, you, you guys are – you know, the inspiration for somebody like me from Houston that wanted to get into media. When you hear that from somebody outside of the fact of, okay, um, you know, there are some serious rings around the tree because you've been around. But when you hear somebody say, I grew up with you. Now my kids read your stuff. My kids know all about it. What does that mean to you, John, to hear that from me who grew up with you? And then obviously I get to do radio with you. But then also to hear from people that are like, yeah, I read your stuff. My kids read your stuff. They grew up with you. How does that hear? How does it feel when you hear something like that over the course of your great career? It's an honor, and uh, shows two things. One thing I've been doing it a long time, and I'm old, which I am, and uh, and the other is that people have thought enough of what I write and say through the decades to continue to follow me, and I appreciate that. I've always tried to be fair. I know a lot of people read my tweets on Sundays during Texas game wouldn't say that. <laughs> so I try to be fair the other six days of the week. And I will continue to tweet about the Texans. And uh, since I'm going to do all my radio shows in Houston, Nashville, Knoxville, Las Vegas, San Antonio, and Waco, and I'll still be following all the teams and keeping up with everything. And tweet tweeting is something I love to do. And, uh, and I hope the Chronicle, as they do with uh, David Barron and Dale Robertson, they retire, retired and they continue to do some freelance work for us. Dale's about to cover the Clay Court Championships at, at River Oaks Tournament. And uh, he and I had dinner last night at the Houstonian with our buddy Steve Connerhouse and Celeste Wombaugh. We told them stories going back to 1976. It's been about four hours regaling them with stories we'd been involved in. And some of those stories are going to be in my Sunday column. And one of them in particular with, with Dale and Ed Fowler is one of the strangest and funniest things I've ever been involved in. And Pittsburgh is where it was. And I love telling stories. I love talking on the radio, as you guys know. I've had so many wonderful experiences, met so many great people. I've had three people in their 90s email me today, tell me they've been reading me all their lives, and I'm well, not all of them. And I had a 23-year-old email me today and say, I'm 23, and I've been reading you all my life, and uh, and I just appreciate that so much. And I told, uh, I wrote my column today that uh, among the, a lot of the things I wrote, and you guys are in there, and if you didn't make the print version, you're in the online version, and uh, because there's no limitations on space, in cyberspace. And, and I said, you know, I knew Bob McNair and Bob McNair is as fine a gentleman as I've ever met. And he wanted a team here and nobody else stepped up other than Bob McNair. And I told, I told, I wrote that I believe they're in good hands with Nick Casario and Lovey Smith. I believe Nick knows what he's doing. And uh, I know Lovey knows what he's doing. And I'm excited to watch, the Texans and uh, Omar Masoub, the great PR guy they got over there. He and his staff are tremendous. He's told me I can come over anytime. And I said, well, that's good because I'm going to be working for Sports Radio 610. <laughs> and I'd hate to have to treat you like I treat your team on Sundays. 
And uh, so he's welcomed me and to come over. So I'll still be seeing you guys. I'll be around. Okay. John McClain joining us on the day he announces his retirement from the Houston Chronicle. General, you brought up Bob McNair. Let's talk about that for a moment because the Oilers leave and eventually Bob McNair surfaces as a candidate to bring football back to Houston for the NFL. What was that like getting to know him and covering that whole process because it didn't happen overnight? I don't want to give it away. I have two stories going Sunday about Bob and Janice that uh, I'll guarantee you they were never involved in in any other way. And uh, I've told Cal these stories and he laughed his you know what off and uh and it in in one of the stories when i first met bob would have been in 97 when he was trying to get the team after the Oilers left and the first time i met him and uh it's a pretty incredible story and then the other one involves another uh trip to their house uh in river oaks that i did and and i was told by our editor editor at the time, Tony Peterson, who knew Bob for his philanthropy and what a class act he was and how impressed I was going to be. He said, just make sure he's impressed with you. And I said, I'll do my best. I said, he's the one trying to get the team. And Bob always assured me that that Houston was going to get the team. When Paul Tagliabue sent his right-hand man, Roger Goodell, to live in L.A., and Roger's hanging out with Tom Cruise and all these celebrities and stars, and they gave L.A. an exclusive negotiating period. I wrote a column, one of the two dumbest I've ever written, and it said, bet the house, the NFL is going to L.A. And so Bob had always told me, there were three people that told me through the whole process, I guarantee you Houston's going to get it. One was Rich McKay, who's now the president of I think the general's dropped. Am I still on? I'm. I hear you, Mark. I think we may okay. have lost the general. Did, at some did we point, lo- though. All right. So I was wondering, are we still on the air? Yeah, we're going to get John on. I guess we were. I felt a. I, I heard us dropping a few times, and I thought maybe I dropped um, yeah. as we were no, in different we, places uh, right here. Hyundai, yeah, I'm Texas still here. Radio, I was thinking the same thing. Studio. I'm like, I'm like, did I drop? Oh no. So I yeah, know. Of course, that's that. Of course, is uh, what I, we'll get the general back on here because there's there's plenty to talk about, not just with. His retirement, but plenty of things going on in the league uh, today. Uh, one, there well, are okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there are. Yes, this league just continues to to move on now. Not with the Texans that I can think of. I mean, unless I missed something, I don't think. Well, the la- last night's news was obviously huge with uh, with Bruce Arians, and well, uh, yeah. we'll talk about that. But uh, back to something about something John McClain said, people hearing him on the radio, I think that that's a really important part of this mix. You know, I'm a radio freak. And the fact that the general has utilized this medium so well to go along with the newspaper career has meant a great deal. And I think it's also meant a great deal to the people of Nashville because when the the Tennessee Titans emerged, when the Oilers moved to Tennessee, of course they played uh, in Memphis, and then they went to, what, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt uh, and yep. eventually opened the stadium. But McClain was on the air there in Nashville talking about the team. He knew yep. the team well. Obviously, he knew all the personnel. He knew Jeff Fisher. He knew uh, the brass of the Houston Oilers, then becoming the Tennessee Titans. 
and he could help usher in that team to that market. Now, that's not something that I know is popular with Houston fans necessarily, but look, he was a friendly face, friendly voice, and uh, he helped them get to know their new team. And I think to those people, uh, they got to be having their own kind of ceremony today, if you will, sure. uh, celebrating the career at the Houston Chronicle of John McClain, who, as he said, will still be around. Uh, it's not going to be the same not being with the Houston Chronicle, a paper he's been with for 47 years. Uh, another thing, Johnny, is what Seth Payne brought up. Seth Payne brought up the fact that he's embraced different kinds of technology. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, he covered, man, when you think about covering the Oilers in training camp mm-hmm. in San Angelo and it's not exactly the Junction Boys, but it's not far off from that era if yeah, you think about yeah. it. And, and you're you're dealing with a very different situation. Six weeks of training camp and six preseason games or whatever it was. And, you know, he says it was very informal. You could really get to know the players, and I get all that. Uh, but it's a long grind. There's no doubt about that. And then you go from that to where the league is today and how much more popular the league is than ever. Uh, But it's always been popular, obviously, with him covering it during his time with the Chronicle. But I just find that stuff pretty fascinating, just the changes in life, in sports, in the industry, and industries uh, over his career with the Houston Chronicle. Yeah, no doubt. And you said it. I I think the the addition of radio, I mean, obviously – getting getting stories and getting the backstory and uh, you know all the different things that he's done over the years for the chronicle you then throw in the radio stuff and i guarantee you there are probably some people out there that know of john on the radio and they hear about him oh it's houston chronicles john mcclain but they hear him on the radio and maybe they don't get the Chronicle or don't read the Chronicle, but they listen to him. They listen to him on the radio, and that might be the way that they that they remember him. Oh, I remember listening to him on the radio. I didn't read his stuff. I would listen to him on the radio because we would get all the great stuff there. I remember this was back, Mark, either 14 or 15, and you and I were doing the Thursday shows, uh, or you were doing the Thursday show with John, and there was one Thursday you couldn't do the show, and you're like, hey, I can't do the show for some – I can remember why you were out, but you're like, I can't do the show, but John's coming in. You and John can knock it out. It'll be great. And I'm like, oh, man, we had done some stuff with, with John, but and I knew him, but I had never done uh, you know, the one-on-one radio with John, and so I was nervous as I could be. I was so flipping nervous, like, oh, my gosh, am I going <laughs> to drive this, you know, this, uh, this tanker right into the river? Like, how is this going to go? And then all of a sudden we got to talking and it led one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And before you knew it, we had a full hour done. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And we got done and he's leaving the studio and he goes, thank you, John. That was really fun. I'm like, General, you don't even know how nervous I was. You're the one that made it fun. I it just doing that over the years with John was just it, it was a blast. And hopefully we'll get a chance to continue that. And I, I know everybody's got stories about about John and. And the many people that he's met and the just the famous stories from, you know, back in the day. But man, that was that was such a fun moment for me because here I am so nervous and then he just put me all at ease in about thirty seconds and then we just cruise right on through an hour of radio like it was nothing. Okay. John McLean is back with us now. And John, you were uh telling us about the Texans in the early days and covering the process of getting the team and the McNair family. Yes, I apologize. I forgot to put do not disturb and it knocked us off. Then I put it on. Chris couldn't call me. So technical difficulties. You think after all these decades, I would know better. Um, 
uh, what were we talking about? I'm sorry. Oh, Bob, the franchise. So uh, I wrote, Bet the House is going to be L.A. Uh, Rich McKay, whose brother J.K. was on the L.A. committee, and Rich said, I'm telling you, you're going to get it. The other one was Bruce Allen. Bruce Allen kept telling you, I'm telling you, you're going to get it. L.A. doesn't have its act together. And Bruce had connections on the L.A. committee. And Bob had his money. He had his stadium. He had the politicians behind him, the business leaders behind him. But I knew how much the NFL wanted to go to L.A. And I just never thought it would happen until in Atlanta for the league meeting in the fall until I heard them screaming behind closed doors, the Houston <laughs> contingent, I never believed it. And 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 we, I mean, the media, we went out and celebrated after we after we wrote our stories. And uh, I remember in the time I'd been covering the NFL, traveling all over the country, and uh, doing stories. Chronicle would send stories every Monday of our sports sections. I would have them sent to the league office for Paul Tagliabue and his henchmen to see and always said, the Houston, the NFL is gone from Houston, but the NFL continues to thrive in the Houston Chronicle. And one time Tagliabue said, we need to give you all a franchise so you'll just quit sending all those sports sections up here. And uh, so I got a big kick out of that. Bob and Janice McNair were so happy to see the fruits of his labor. And when I see people, who, who are, are critical of them. And I wrote today, the McNairs want to win. I know they want to win. Geez, they spend enough money. They're paying so many coaches and GMs right now. I wish they'd give me one of these Bruce Arians, highly paid senior consultant jobs to do nothing like Bruce Arians is getting from the Bucks. He basically admitted today he's getting paid to do nothing. And uh, so I know they want to win. And I think Nick Casario knows how to do it. I'm pumped about the draft. I may come over there during the draft, and, and he'll spend some more money on free agents. Then next year, Nick's going to have more than $100 million. And he's not going to go crazy, of course, and be like Jacksonville and try to win March, but he'll spend more money on better free agents because they should be close to being a playoff t- team again in 2023. John, when you think back to your first day in the business until now, there's so many people I'm sure across and uh, across your career that you've run into that have left an impression on you, but was there somebody that you look back and go, you know what? I'm so glad I'm in this business because I got to meet that particular person or I had an, I had an instance uh, or a meeting with that particular person. Was there somebody along the way that you met that you're like, Are you holy cow. I met this particular person. Like I've met you. Who's the person that you over the years had a chance to meet or get to know that you look back and go, man, that was really special. Well, that was three stories that I did in 1977. I did two because we had a sports special section and we would have big time people on the cover. And I, I called George Hallis in Chicago and talked to his assistant. And I called Charlie Finley in Chicago, talked to his assistant and I called Bill Vett, the White Sox owner, with the White Sox and talked to his assistant to see if I could come up there and interview him. And the only one that never got back to me was Charlie Finley, the owner of the A's. And George Howell's assistant said, Mr. Howell would be happy to talk to you, but he can't talk about the past. And I'm like, well, oh, if you've got boy. George Hallis, 
Well, you're not going to talk about the future. He's about 90 years old. So he said he's working on a book. So I, I thought I'd take my chances. So I set up an interview at his office in Chicago. And Bill Vec, who, who whose dad owned the Cubs back during Prohibition, and Bill was a young guy who worked for him, and he was on the White Sox, he said, sure. And so I went to Chicago, and I spent three days there. The first day, I went to Comiskey, Old Comiskey Park. White Sox were on the road. I went to what was called the Bard's Room. There was nobody in that room. I'm sitting there at a table, and I'm waiting on Bill Vett. And I hear in the distance, clump, 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 and it got louder, clump, yeah. clump. And it was his peg leg he'd lost in yep. the war. And and I knew he had a peg leg, but it was just so strange. And he came in, he was carrying a phone, telephone, with a long cord. He came over and he said, young man, he said, I'll give you all the time you want, but I talk to the fans when they call. And right now they're calling a lot because we're not very good. So he plugged that phone in the table. We started talking. We had we had breakfast. We had lunch. I spent about six hours there. And he told me stories about John Dillinger undergoing plastic surgery and hanging out in center field at Wrigley Field. And only he and his dad knew who they were. FBI knew he was a fan of the Cubs, and they were all over the stadium. But they didn't know who he was. And then uh, when his dad was dying, uh, he had cancer. And it was during Prohibition. And Bill Vec went to the hotel where Al Capone worked out of. And they let him come into Capone. He asked him how his dad was. Said he's not very good. He doesn't have much time left. And Al Capone said, what can I do for your dad? He said, I'd like to get some whiskey from you. And Vec said he held his breath and said, not the kind you sell, but the kind you drink. And he said, done. And then for the the next day, one of these old untouchable type cars with guys with Tommy guns on the side came to their house. One got out, opened up a small trunk, pulled out a case of whiskey, came up, knocked on the door, and Mrs. Beck accepted it for her husband. And Bill Beck said he suffered no pain in his last few weeks of life thanks to the whiskey that Mr. Capone provided you know those are unbelievable stories he yeah. told about how he got eddie goodell uh the the let's see the dwarf who batted and walked yeah. and how that came yeah. about and so then i thought i'll never have another interview like that next day i go to george Allison's office and i'm thinking how in the world am i going to get him talking about the past and i had brought copies of our paper with the big front page and the chronicle was a lot bigger then it was a drawing art and I showed him one of Lamar Hunt and Bud Adams that another guy had done, Al Lundgren. And, and he goes, he ran his hands over him, and he goes, wee wee like a little kid. And then he started talking about playing with Babe Ruth and all these things he did about being in Decatur when the National Football League was formed, and he was there with Jim Thorpe and the other people. And then he talked about the Bears through the decades, how this player came and that one took me in an old film room with those big old gray canisters showing me that they had those back since film was invented. And then I came back and wrote the long, long stories about both of them for the Chronicle. And I thought, well, it'll never get better than that. It did until 1996 when I noticed 
the last surviving member of the original class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 63, was Sammy Ball. Swinging Sammy Ball lived on his ranch in uh, Roshan, Texas, out in the west, west Texas, at the base of the Double Mountains. So I was told that if you play, if you play dominoes, he'll take you off the road because he lived on a ranch outside in the middle of nowhere. And so Cowboy Bill Lanza Jr. Uh, knew him, and I called Cowboy, and I said, if the Chronicle pays your way, will you line it up? He said, yes. We flew to Lubbock. We drove to the ranch. They knew each other. And, and for I have nine hours of tape with Sammy Ball, cuss like crazy. And the Chronicle let me uh, run what he said. I've never seen it before running words like that till Deshaun Watson's uh, lawsuits. And it was <laughs> unbelievable listening to him tell me stories about playing with the gas house gang in the Cardinals minor league system and playing uh, in a Negro League semi-pro all-star team in baseball with Cool Papa Bell and Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige and how it all ended in a riot in Denver that was brutal and bloody and they canceled it, never had this annual game anymore. And now he was playing a game in uh, old Griffith Stadium in Washington and they noticed there was these announcements coming over during the game and they look up on the bench and see people leaving. And after the game, their owner came down and told them uh, the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor and we didn't want you guys to know it till after the game. And those announcements were they were calling officers out of the stands to cut to report and those stories are the next day i see how i can word this could just take into account sammy cuss like crazy we're on his front porch and everybody tried to get him to come uh speak and before he left i said your trophy case and it wasn't gaudy i said what's your greatest honor and he reaches in the back of his trophy case and pulls out something blows dust off of it and showed it to me. It was the only hole-in-one he'd ever gotten. And he drove to Sweetwater <laughs> six days a week to play golf with his friends, and he was 85 years old. So we're on the porch, and I said, why do you never go anywhere to be honored? He said, I won't go anywhere that I can't be back here sleeping in my bed. So the Hall of Fame in Canton, which had not had him there since the original induction, offered to take his bed on a train and have it shipped to Canton if he would come back and be honored, but he wouldn't do it. He'd go to Fort Worth because he could get back that night. So I asked him, why have you lived on this ranch that he bought with money he earned from a TV show he did on the tech call of Texas Rangers? And he's standing on the edge of his porch, and I'm standing next to him. And he had given Cowboy and I peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat on the way back to Lubbock. And we're standing there, and I said, so why do you live out here? Why not move in town? He said, because when I got to take a pee, and he didn't use pee, he said, I can come right out here on my porch, pull it out, and I can pee anywhere I want. He said, I got to pee right now. I said, I do too. So Sammy Ball and I took peas on his front porch uh, together. Things I, I didn't like expect to talk Sunday. about. <laughs> <laughs> no photos, please. Let's just keep it to pros only. All right. 
That is unbelievable stuff, General. <laughs> Great stories. Okay, well, we thank you for joining us. We congratulate you once again. You're not going to be a stranger. You'll still be on with us. And uh, we look forward to uh, many more conversations, General. Thanks so much. Mark and John, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. I love going on with you guys. It's been an honor all these years. And I would encourage Texans fans to check out my column Sunday because I got some really funny stories involving Bob and Janice McNair. You don't hear many people say you have funny stories about two such dignified people, but they're in them. And I can't wait for people to see them. Thank you guys very much as always. We'll watch out for them. And uh, when you have time, please read my story today about you. And uh, you've done everything from love blue to deep steel blue. Thank you. And I will tweet it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you very much, General. You're the best. We love having you on. Thank you for everything you've done and are doing for uh, it's not just sports media, folks. And I, I didn't get to this with him, Johnny, but I guarantee you that the general is as proud of this as anything else he's done, which is help launch or improve the careers of dozens and dozens oh. and dozens of people in the industry the list, and I've seen tweets from all over the place today, but I know that this is something that's very important to him, and, you know, it's something we'll be able to talk about as, as the weeks progress. All right, we're uh, late for the break, but let's get to it. We're going to do Who's Better, and we're going to have a fantastic second half hour of the program here on Texans Radio. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access. What destinations are on your financial checklist? A new home? A new savings account? Whatever it may be, TDECU offers better ways to save and do more with your money. Join TDECU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. What if your preferred hospital could also be your primary care provider? At Houston Methodist, we go beyond hospital care, offering you everything from flu shots to well woman exams to managing your weight and cholesterol. And our primary care doctors and specialists are connected all across the city. So whatever the need, wherever you live... We can be there for you. Visit HoustonMethodist.org to find the care you need at locations throughout Houston. Houston Methodist. Leading medicine. Leading medicine. Leading medicine. Leading medicine. We return to Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Johnny, I need a moment. I mean, geez. That was some incredible stuff from McLean. Yeah. Talking yeah, about interviewing Bill Vec <laughs> and George Hallis and Sammy Baugh. And I don't know, like, who's better? Which story was better? I don't know. They were <laughs> the all Sammy great. The Sammy Baugh story wins, man. The Sammy Baugh story has to win. I mean, does it not? It has to. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, but Bill Vec talking about John Dillinger in the outfield yeah. after having plastic surgery. Al Capone. I, these are unbelievable stories of the city of Chicago. George Hallis. Yeah. I mean, you think about the Bears. They started in Decatur in the 20s. Chicago had the Cardinals when the league began. And I don't know when the Cardinals left. I don't think it was too long after, but I could be wrong. But the 20s was prohibition, so all that stuff was going on. Now, the general wasn't around back then, so he's not that <laughs> old, people. Back no. off. Back off. Not that old. You're right. You're right. But uh, some great stories, and I know there are many, many more. But I think i got to put that last five minutes on a podcast or something. And by the way, it will be. So you can hear that. If you missed it, if you're just joining us, we just had John McClain on on the day he announced his retirement 
from the Houston Chronicle after 47 years. And he told some great stories, especially at the end of the segment, uh, but all over, really. And we lost him for a few moments, but doesn't matter. That show, this show, will be up on HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app, I don't know, within a few hours after it's over. So uh, something for you to uh, check out. Uh, we're going to do a, a loose-ish version of who's better here because we're delayed on time and everything. We went a little long with the general. Johnny, who's better? Better okay. surprise. Brady back? Jordan back. Better surprise. Brady. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, I, when you said Jordan, I was thinking Jordan with the Wizards. No. Uh, oh, boy. I know they're different, I, different stages of their yeah, careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Jordan. Because, first of all, when he retired, he always held out hope. But when a guy says he retires, then he's gone for a whole year. You think, nah, at that point, there weren't a lot of a lot of guys I can remember that were coming back to the sport. I remember Jim Palmer tried it, and it didn't work out. Uh, I remember Jim Brown on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Can he make the Raiders at 47 years old? And I'm like, my God. Um, but not a lot of not a lot of guys were making it back. And then all of a sudden, in this drab year of 95, and if you remember 90, that, that that whole run, we had lost baseball. Baseball had gone on strike in October. And that was one of the reasons that Jordan left. He wouldn't cross the picket line at the, uh, the training camp. And so that's what really kind of precipitated him thinking about coming back to basketball. So at that point, it, I mean, if you think just in Houston, the, the Oilers were on their way out. There was no baseball. And really what we had to hang on to was this Rockets team that was really good. And oh, by the way, Michael Jordan's coming back. Man, could the Rockets play the Bulls? I think I was more excited about that. And then, of course, Jordan turns back into Jordan for those final three years in 96, 97, 98. Um I think it was a better surprise that he was coming back. Tom coming back. This whole thing, Mark, I, I, I hate to say this. A, I like Tom Brady. B, even saying that, though, something's weird, man. Something's really odd with this whole thing. And I don't know what it is. And it just there's something about it that just has this hint of stinkiness to it. And I don't know what it is. But the fact that Brady decides to retire... Then he comes back, and then B.A. retires. But then Todd Bowles is named the head coach, not Byron Leftwich. So if there's something that had to do with Tom Brady, like wouldn't Brady have pushed for left? I don't know. Something's weird with this whole thing, uh, Mark. I, I don't know. I just feel like there's something there that, that we don't know about, or maybe there's some story there. I don't know. I just get the feeling that there's something. I think Florio alluded to that, and I agree with him on this one. I, I don't like to be a conspiracy theory guy. I leave that to others, but – there's something odd about this. I'll just leave it at that with Brady. But I would say I would take Brady. I would take Jordan. That said, I don't mind seeing Brady come back one more year. That's fine. Yeah, just, just, just stay die in the after NFC. This year. Yeah, just stay, stay in the, the NFC. NFC. Yeah, I'm happy that he's in the NFC. And look, this whole thing, I don't blame them at all for naming Todd Bowles the head coach. I think that's the right move on their part because. Brady, as long as Brady's happy to be in Tampa Bay, all these rumors about, well, he's still going to try to force his way out or whatever. All right, whatever. Yeah. I, I think he's there. He can work well with Leftwich on the offense. Yes. There are all these rumors about intervention from Arians, and they didn't like it. Whatever the case may be, I think Brady and Leftwich, good team. It's good for Leftwich. He can be a head coach next year. They have a good year. He'll be a head coach next year. Bowles is an experienced head coach. 
Let them run the offense, Brady and Leftwich. If you named Leftwich the coach, then he's got to do all the head coaching stuff and what's going to happen with the offense. Leave the offense alone. Let Bowles call the defense, which he will, like Lovey will call it here. And I think for Tampa Bay's perspective, from their perspective, that's the right move. Johnny, let's do this. Who's better? Okay. Better chance, now that KC has traded Tyreek Hill, and we don't know who they're going to pick, but they have some options here in the upcoming draft. But better chance of knocking them off their perch in the AFC West, Chargers, Denver, or Vegas. Better chance of knocking off the Chiefs in the AFC West, and the Texans are going to play all these teams this year. I really, because the other night, my son and I watched Swingers. It was the first time that my son uh, had a chance to watch Swingers. and so Great I movie. I want to scream out Vegas, baby, but I but I won't because I think it's the Chargers, and I think the Chargers are going to make one more move in this draft, and I think we could be part of it. And I've been ooh, I have been thinking about this for a while. That and it was one of the things that I thought about even before Deshaun was traded. I was like, okay, if we trade with we whatever team, if we end up with a pick in front of the, the L.A. Chargers, we need to dangle that pick to the L.A. Chargers to see if they'll come up and give more to come up and get Jordan Davis. I think a big athletic run stuffer in that defense, bookended by Bosa and Khalil Mack, and backended by Derwin James, with that big hoss in the middle, my goodness, I think that's the one final piece that L.A. needs. Now, they also need a right tackle, I think, but they've got everything else. I think it's the Chargers, and I think the draft might be that one final piece for Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley to say, who is it, what is it? I don't know if I would say they're one player away, but if that one player ends up being 6'6", 341 pounds and is the athlete that we've seen and he stays healthy out in L.A., he could be a rock star in that defense. I I think it's the Chargers that have the most ammunition on both sides of the ball to push the Chiefs out of that top spot. All right, cool. I've got another one for you. We'll do it after the break. We'll close out the show. It's going to be good. It involves the AFC South, Texans competition. We'll get into it next here on Texans Radio. Texans Radio continues in a moment. Ashley is proud to call Houston home. We believe your personal style makes your house a home. Discover incredible styles, selection, and quality at a price to fit any budget. Ashley has just the looks and options you need. Explore totally different styles and trends all in one place. Finding the perfect furniture and home decor makes it easy for you to create a home you love to live in. We have 12 Houston area locations to serve you. Ashley, proud partner of the Houston Texans. Texans Radio is back. All right, let's get to this. By the way, I got a text from uh, Uncle Dre, Andre Johnson's uncle, congratulating McLean. So I thought I'd pass that on to everybody. Because, oh, very cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uncle Dre loves McLean too, uh, and the work that he does. Uh, the work over the years, so great for the Houston Chronicle. And we'll be talking with John Moore over the coming weeks. So uh, don't worry about that part of it. All right, Johnny, I had one more who's better for you. Okay. And this involves the AFC South. Because now that the Colts have made the deal for Matt Ryan, do you think that the Colts are going to get picked to win the division by some? And before you answer that, let me state my case here. Tennessee, obviously, top seed in the AFC. Mm-hmm. You know, we were within a 
getting the ball back situation of having a chance to bump them off that perch, but it happened for them. They were the top seed, but they lost. Yep. And Derrick Henry got hurt for a while, and they survived it. But can they get through that again? Is Henry going to stay healthy? They have a lot of questions. Is Tannehill uh, going to make key mistakes in the moment of truth? But really, this is about winning the division. Who's better, Titans, Colts? Colts. Colts. Wow. I've, I felt like, and I think it bore itself out on divisional uh, playoff weekend, that the Titans were not the number one seed in the AFC and not just because the Bengals beat them. I didn't think the Titans played well. I didn't think the Titans were very good. And I think their weaknesses got exposed in that game, and Tannehill struggled. He threw 14 interceptions, I think, total. He threw seven in that building in two games, three to the Bengals and four to us. So hmm. Tannehill had some struggles at some, some bad times, if you will. Now, there's no telling if Matt Ryan is going to be the secret sauce in Indianapolis, but – I think he's not quite to the aged level of Philip Rivers. I think he is a more competent Carson Wentz. He's not going to be able to move and get out of the pocket uh, like Carson could when things would break down. But I think Matt's going to make better decisions for that team. But the Colts need a playmaker. I mean, they have Jonathan Taylor, so you can't get greedy, I guess. But Michael Pittman's a really good wide receiver. I think he's a really good. I think he's bordering on being excellent. But he's not quite there yet. So who's that other guy for the Colts? Zach Pascal used to kill us. He's gone to Philadelphia. T.Y., I don't think he's going to come back. So where's where are the playmakers out on the edge for the Colts? Now, Paris Campbell was a the guy they were going to rely on, a second-round pick three years ago, but he's been hurt every single year. He caught one touchdown pass against us and was out again for the rest of the year, for the third straight year in a row. So you can't really rely on them. On him, so where are the Colts going to find playmakers to come in and help Matt Ryan? And if you have to rely on a rookie, yeah, man. Michael Pittman was good, but it really was the second half of the year where he turned into a really strong receiving threat. So I just think they're a playmaker away. I look at the Titans and think, okay, Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, great start. But again, Nick Westbrook and Kine, and you add in Robert Woods. So they're probably a little bit, there's a little bit more firepower there. I just think the Colts across the board, if they can find one more playmaker to go with Pittman, I think the Colts offense is going to be nasty to stop. Nasty to stop. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be tough. I, I think if you can – obviously, if you if you can get after Matt Ryan, it's going to really help your chances against them. Obviously, he's not mobile, but the O-line they have to work with right now, it is going to be something. All right, a few minutes left here. Recent acquisitions for the Houston Texans. I look at this whole thing. They're bringing back guys that they know can help because they helped last year. And these are players who know the building, know the routine. I like the re-signings that they've done. I think too many people react to these re-signings and think, well, that's all it's going to be. Listen, the team is still under construction. They also have added some other players that weren't here last year, a sprinkling. And you have this bevy of draft choices coming your way. Johnny, I think you're with me in that. How they do this year not only depends on Mills, clearly, but how well the rookies fit in. Not last year's rookies, the 2022 rookies. These rookies, not all, but 
uh, one, two, three, whatever the number is, they're going to have to make an impact if this team's going to take that big leap forward. And by big leap, look, we can define it in a variety of ways. If you doubled your win total, that would be eight. That would be considered a pretty big leap right there. We don't have to get into that definition right now. I just want to see a big bounce. I'm with you. I want to see. I want to see that. I want to see a big bounce in because you're going to have at the moment two first rounders, a second rounder, uh, and then two third rounders. I think last year, I think Nico was drafted what 89, so he only had one pick in the top 80, and that's Davis Mills, and he showed you some promise. You need those third, 13, 37, 67, and 80 picks. What's that? Is that five of them? I, I don't do the math real fast, but real fast but I think it's five you need those five guys you need at least one to become a dude you need that guy maybe not on the J.J. Watt level but you need him to be at least at a Whitney Merciless level at least at a Kareem Jackson level um at at that uh that output um you know er, maybe not early because Kareem had a tough year in 2010 and and Whitney didn't really find it for a couple years but that kind of player you know a guy that can make that kind of impact you need to have that at least one of those first-rounders, you hope that both of them can be that. If you're drafted in the top 13, you'd hope that both of them can be elite talents. But uh, to go two for two, it's not always easy to do. But of those five, you've got to have at least two dudes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need two dudes to come out of those top, uh, those top five picks in the top 80. At least two dudes, and then hopefully a third player starts to emerge. You would hope during a rookie year, and then one of those – Day three picks becomes a surprise, like a DJ Reader did in 2016, where you go, holy cow, this guy's pretty darn good. I mean, uh, he's starting next to Will Fork, and he's playing a lot, and he's turning into the guy we saw. So that's hopefully what happens this year, and then you build it even more in 23 and 24. And then you look up and go, okay, now we've got elite talent in a lot of spots. Now we've got money under the cap. We can go get a guy to fill that gap or hole that we have. And then the draft – that particular year just becomes let's fortify our depth and find best player available as many spots as we can. And that's the hope. And then if Davis Mills pans out, that just offers you so many op- – that affords you so many opportunities to fill holes with high-level draft picks as opposed to going and getting a quarterback and you know, putting a top-five pick on a quarterback. If Davis hits, you can put that top-five pick on the best defensive lineman in the draft, the best defensive end in the draft. That's what you'd like to be able to do. But this draft is key, but I'm, I'm so excited about it to have five picks in the top 80 right now. It's just really cool. And the guys they brought back, uh, I love. But the guys they brought in, too, Jalen Reeves-Maven, Mark, I love this guy. I loved him come out of Tennessee. He had a really good year last year for Detroit, finally staying healthy. If he stays healthy, I think that linebacking core is solid. Throwing a good athletic rookie into it, it's going to be a really good mix. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Can't wait. Uh, by the way, the love for Davis Mills with everyone I talked to at the NFL annual meeting earlier this week, it was palpable. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, I'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow. Another show for you tomorrow, 6 o'clock. Thanks to the general for being on. Once again, congratulations, 47 years at the Houston Chronicle. This show will be available on the Texans app soon enough. I wrote a story today on the general story. It's a piece, Vandermeer's view on John McClain. And thank you, John Harris. As always, thank you, Chris, for producing. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day. And go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. What destinations are on your financial checklist? A new home? A new savings account? 
Whatever it may be, TDECU offers better ways to save and do more with your money. Join TDECU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans and Chevron have teamed up with the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston and the Houston Food Bank to create the Chevron Market Pantry at the Houston Texans Team Club. The partnership provides food to the local community and is run by Team Club members and Chevron volunteers. Together, we're helping make Houston a better place to call home. <laughs> 